And as you head there, we're going to go to the book of John. Maybe that's a little bit too loud there, Mr. Luke. We're feeding back a bit. Let's find a happy medium. Now, there's, there's times where, I'm sure you find this, there's just moments of recalibration that make you realize the season and the time you're in. All of you, you're here, and from what I could tell, most of you are on time. So you had one of those moments this morning as you put your clocks forward. We now know officially that we're in the downhill stretch towards the end of the year. And I was walking through the shops yesterday. My wife and I were there. We went into Target, and there on display already was the Christmas decorations. <laughs> <laughs> had that moment of panic thinking, are we really that close to the end of the year? Or maybe they're just stretching how long they can get out of marketing Christmas products. But it did make me think, just that side of the Christmas tree there in the mall, I thought, wow, where is the year gone? I was only getting warmed up and we're already on the downhill stretch towards Christmas time. But in, in a good way, there's those moments, there's things that happen, circumstances that make us recalibrate and realize where it is that we are and where it is that we're going. And we're in a, just a couple of weeks looking at some of those necessary and hopefully helpful recalibrating moments and exploring that through this particular account in John chapter 4. So you can turn there in readiness and as you do, I'll pray for us. Father, we just thank you this day. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that you're a God who has made a way and a God who continues to make a way for us. Thank you for your free invitation. There's nothing that we could add to your gift of grace and mercy and love, even if we wanted to. All we can simply do is freely receive. And so we come to freely receive afresh this morning your love and your mercy and your grace. And I have a sense even now, Lord, that you're just washing over the lives of your people, that you're lifting up our heads, that there's a fresh outpouring of grace for us this morning. So as we come to your word, Lord, I pray that you'd cause it to come alive and be alive and to be sent forth to accomplish with great power all that you would desire in our hearts, in our lives, personally, in our midst as your people. Draw us closer to you. Open our eyes to see more of who you are, that we might become more like you, that we might shine as lights brilliantly for the glory and grace and the majesty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's not the sermon. That's just a freebie this morning. Freely he has given. Freely we receive his gift of grace today. So John chapter 4 is where we're headed. We've done a few weeks around really the central theme, the words of Jesus as he speaks to his disciples. John 4 verses 35. Jesus says this, do you not say, he's quoting a, a saying, a, a parable, something that they were familiar with. You know the saying, another translation says, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. But look, I tell you, wake up, another version says. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
And so we're in a couple of weeks looking at these recalibrating moments, a series, if you like, simply entitled Harvest Time. And how is it that we can have, as Jesus is instructing his disciples, how is it that we can have eyes to see the harvest that is all around us? And how is it that so easily, like the disciples, we fall into the trap of God is at work all around us and we are blindly oblivious to what it is that he is saying. So the first week we looked at not discounting our seasons. Here were the disciples, they were just on a mission to get through. We're following Christ, this is where we're headed. We're off on a journey and we all know that following Christ takes us to some unexpected, at times unanticipated destinations. And what they saw as simply a place to endure, as a problem to be avoided, that was the place. Jesus is saying, this is the place of harvest. Don't just be rushing around and say, well, it's, it's when this happens. It's when I get accredited. It's when I'm married. It's when the kids leave home. It's whatever. Fill in the blank. God is at work now. And if he can work in the midst of that scenario and circumstance and through those particular people, then he can work in the midst of of our circumstance. He is at work. And as we explored, it's often in times where in the natural it feels like there is no evidence of his outworking, where there's no possible way that God could be moving in our circumstances, that they are in fact the times in our lives where we grow the most and where there is a greater harvest in us and through us if we will have eyes to see. Then last week we looked at establishing what we call rhythms of rest. You see, not only did this happen in an unlikely place, but it was an unlikely way. There was no evangelical crusade. There was no, none of the the normal procedures that if we were to think about how do we bring about a harvest in our lives that we would go through. Jesus simply sat down at a well, had a conversation with this lady, and the rest, as they say, is history. There was a great harvest in this whole region, a harvest of souls, people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. And at times, the greatest hindrance to us knowing, experiencing, living in, having eyes to see the harvest can be that we're so busy trying to work for it rather than to rest in the finished work of what he has already done. So there's one more aspect and element of this particular story. As I said, I'm just picking out a a few bits and pieces that hopefully for each of us can be those recalibrating things. I'm not going to neglect the season that I'm in. There's a harvest here. God is at work in my life. God is at work in yours. God is at work in our city, in our church, despite what the news reports might read, despite anything that you might See in the natural. He is at work and he has promised to complete the good work that he has begun. And I thought a few of us might be a little more excited, but we'll press on. It's a long weekend. I know it's school holidays. We're relaxed. The weather's warmer. Enjoy it while it lasts. Tomorrow's 17 or something again. Make the most of it today. And so this morning, if you like a title, I'm simply talking, or this is the theme, this is hopefully the recalibrating moment. It's simply this, harvest time, check your appetite. Or if you don't like that, you can entitle it this, what's on the menu? What's on the menu? 
Who's feeling hungry already? You're thinking, what is on the menu? What am I eating today? Where am I heading for lunch? Am I thinking about Christmas? Who's thinking about Christmas dinner already? And that's the theme. And let's move on quickly. Check your appetite. So let's have a look at this in the story. Let's have a look at how that then applies to our lives. Check your appetite and appetite too, if you like. John, I love as he writes and as he recounts these stories because he puts in these little details. And we see this, first of all, the scene is unfolding. And if you just come a little earlier back in the story to chapter 4, and let's read together from verse 7. Jesus is there, he's sitting at the well, it says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said, give me a drink. And then in the ESV, it puts this in parentheses. This is not essential to the story. There's no great theology in this particular statement, I don't think. Some might argue that there is. But it's this little detail that John loves to put in there. Because you might think, well, here's Jesus, here's this woman from Samaria, but where are the disciples? I mean, they were following Jesus. What is it that they're doing? It says this, verse 8. In parentheses, in brackets, if you like, in the ESV. It says, For his disciples, all of them, every single one, had gone away into the city to buy food, to find some food. So Jesus is here. He's out working, as we've looked and discovered, one of the greatest harvests in his ministry in his short time on earth. And where are the disciples while all this is going on? They've gone off to the local town to find a bite to eat. One track mind. So if we read on then, all of this story is unfolding. Jesus has this conversation. She says, well, could this be the Messiah? He's told me everything that I've ever encountered. You know, Jesus leads her away from her brokenness of a series of relationships into true living water. If you drink this, I mean, it's an incredible story. She goes away. She tells everybody. And verse 30 says that people are beginning to come. To, could this be the Messiah? And then finally, the disciples are back on the scene. Verse 27, jump, jump forward to there. It says, just then, at that moment, his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But of course, it says, none of them dared actually ask. Another one of those little details that John puts in there. No one dared ask, what, what are you doing, Jesus? And then verse 31, here they are. Finally, they, as this woman goes away to tell everybody she knows about the Messiah that she's Encountered. Verse 31, it says this. Meanwhile, the disciples who are finally back on the scene, what are they doing? They were urging him, being Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. Do you kind of think maybe they're still in the same place that we were 20 verses ago? Is it dinner time yet? Can we finally eat? So Jesus says in verse 32, he said to them, being Jesus, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Verse 33, so the disciples say to one another, has anyone bought him something to eat? I mean, anyway, let's move on. Like what, what Jesus has, have you already eaten? Did you eat without us? Like we've been gone. How did you get food? Was his loaves and fishes again? I mean, it's a complete one-track mind. And then Jesus, which we've read in previous weeks, gives them this incredible picture, incredible encouragement, and the invitation that we'll examine further this morning. Jesus says to them, guys, here's what you've missed, and here's what you are missing. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
And then the passage we read already. Don't say there's yet four months. The harvest is here. And if you read on in verse 38, it says, and, and not only is the harvest here and is that my food, but I'm sending you in to reap what you have not sown. This is my great invitation to invite you into my food, the thing that satisfies me, the thing that gives me life, the very purpose and the mission of my life. See, what is it that this verse speaks to us? What's the encouragement for us? And what was it that Jesus was trying to point his disciples away from? He wasn't criticizing eating. Let's just clarify that. Jesus loved food. And in fact, after he, resur- he was resurrected from the grave, in nearly every appearance post-resurrection, he was eating. He was breaking bread. He's preparing breakfast for his disciples, etc., etc. He wasn't criticizing food. Yeah, he loves food. He's my kind of guy. He wasn't criticizing that, but he's saying, guys, here's what you're missing out on. This entire story has been unfolding, as John has just revealed. And from the very beginning until right now, can't you see that you've only been thinking about one thing, and that is what you're going to eat. And I want to invite you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, to something far deeper, far more satisfying. If you eat... In the natural, you'll be hungry again. But if you want true nourishment, then join me in living, in hungering, in making your food the will and the purpose and the mission of fulfilling the work and the will of the Heavenly Father. See, the whole time the disciples were focused on a meal, whereas Jesus, he was consumed with a mission. That's, that's my nourishment. That's, that's my joy. And that's the invitation that he gives to his disciples. We're not just passing through. This is not just a wasteland. We're not just here to sample the local eateries to be satisfied with the things of life. We're here to do the will of the Father. That's our food. That's what will ultimately satisfies us. And you see, here's the thing that's important for us. See, Jesus is our Savior and our Lord, but he is also our example. And Jesus is making it clear. He's saying, this is what drives me. It's not having a successful ministry. It's not performing miracles. It's not anything that you could put in the the blank, fill in the blank about what you would determine as success in the eyes of the world. He's saying, this is the one thing that drives my life. And it's fulfilling the will of the one who sent me. The joy alone of pleasing the Father, that's what satisfies me. True joy, true fulfillment comes from simply doing his will. And so I would ask us, and this is the challenge, this is why I'm saying check our appetite. How many of us could honestly say, well, that's the case for me. I live completely for the will of my Heavenly Father. That's that's my joy, to please Him. If you're anything like me, if I'm honest and I examine the menu, if I check my appetite, there's normally at least one, if not many, many other things that so often easily find their way in. There can be a bit of that, and then there's a bit of, well, maybe I could just enjoy some of the other delicacies 
that surround me. This is something I believe that we need to regularly recalibrate our hearts towards. So let me, let's just let's develop that. Let's explore it a little bit further. And this is just an example from my own working through. But my wife and I, we had some friends over for dinner uh, recently, a couple of weeks ago. People that you know we are good friends with, but don't, due to business of life, catch up with all that often. It had been a couple of years since we'd had a meal with them. So we had them over, and they've got kids, and the kids were playing, and it was, it was a great time, good time of fellowship. But in the midst of the meal, we were asking uh, this guy who's our friend about what he's doing, and he was telling us all about this new business venture. He's saying it's fantastic, and he's got all these career goals, and he's a very successful guy. He's making a lot of money. Things are going really well for him, and he said, in fact, if it really goes the way that it's going to go in the next couple of years, then this, this could be lucrative. This could be a real way to bless other people. Like there was, It was a good conversation. And then afterwards, they'd left, had a good night together, and my wife and I were doing the dishes, as you do, at the end of the day. And she says to me, do you ever miss that? And by that, I knew exactly what she meant. She meant you know, that, that sense of having a, a career where you progress and you set goals and you make lots of money. And I looked at her and I said, well, I could certainly deal with the paycheck, that's for sure. Um, but I said, you know, it's funny thinking about that because before I was in ministry, there was a big part of me that was career-driven. I was Christian. I was um, committed to my local church. And it wasn't until I made that shift, you know, God redirected my life and I stepped out of that sense of a corporate job and making money that looking back, I realized how much of that had consumed me. And not even, you know, I'm not talking about you know, in, a, in a sinful way here. It's just that how much of my life, just the natural progression, was that I was hungering for the next ladder in the career chain. How can I move forward? How can I progress? How can I be successful? How can I accomplish my goals? And I want to say here, there is nothing wrong with having career goals. There's nothing wrong with having business goals. That is great. And that is a thing that I would encourage anybody to do. But as I thought through that, and this is just my example of my journey, and we'll talk about some others in a moment, as I looked back to how much that consumed my life, I realized this, and it was quite revealing. And I, as I said, I've just been thinking this through this week as we had this dinner with some friends. That for me, all of that, really, if I was honest, if I ch checked what was on the menu, what was really the motivating force in my life, and I might have even in the moment said to you, oh, it's all for God. Like, I'm progressing my career and I'm going to be successful and I'm going to make money. But it's for God. It's for the kingdom. But really, the large motivation was me, if I was honest. It was me to progress my career. It was me to be successful. It was me to make the most of my life that I could. And so I'm not talking about this being a, um, <clears throat> an issue with what you do, but the motivation with which you do everything. And I, as I look back and examine that, I realized that so much of my life, I missed out on perhaps what God had for me because I was so consumed with not even bad things. There's nothing bad about that. There's nothing bad about having a career. It's just that so often we are full of the things that are around us. We're sampling the delicacies where really, if we're honest, our appetite is built more around us. And I definitely couldn't say 
with all honesty before the Lord. No, my joy is to do the will of God. That's what motivates me. That's what drives me. That's the passion and the desire of my life. Let me explain this from another completely different angle. I remember hearing an illustration from John Bevere, a guy who uh, most of you probably have heard of, very well-known Bible teacher. And he shares this example in his book, Kryptonite, which is a, a recent book from a couple of years back. It's also a home group study that some of our home groups have done. And he talks about this season in his life where the, the whole book, it's, uh, you've, got to, uh, you've got to be ready to be sort of shaken up and stirred a bit if you, if you read this particular book. He's talking about dealing with sin in the church and sin in our lives personally. That's his whole message that you know, we've, we've, we've got to pursue holiness. Great message. Um, but in that, he shares this, this journey that he had with the Lord of a season in his life where he was bound and caught up in bondage. He said, I, I was struggling. I, I had, there was sin in my life that I knew was there and I could not get free. And he, he shares that he, he did everything he possibly could think of. He fasted and he prayed and there was this one moment at this particular time, he's a younger man, he's working for a church and his job was to go and pick up all of the, the big names, the visiting speakers from the airport and he'd drive them around. So he said there was this one day that there was this guy, I was so excited to meet him, I thought this is going to be the moment where I get free, I'm going to seek him out, I'm going to tell him all my problems, I'm going to get him to pray for me and if that doesn't get me delivered and free and set free then nothing is. So he picks up this guy, he's so excited, he you know, nervously shares his journey, he says, would you pray for me? This guy says, oh, of course, I'll pray for you. He said, laid hands on him, he's like, oh, I felt nothing. There was no difference, and he said, I went away from that being like, well, forget about it. What's, you know, what, what have I got to do to get free and to experience freedom in my life? And so his journey continued, and he said there was a period sometime later, and there was no difference in his life after this encounter with the, the big name speaker, until a moment, you know, he'd, he'd grown in his relationship with the Lord. He was spending some time away for a couple of days on a retreat. And just completely out of the blue, the Lord speaks to him and says, you know, that issue that has been in your life for many years, he said, I've just set you totally free. And he said, from that moment onwards, he never struggled again in that area of his life. And he prayed. He said, God, well, I don't, I don't understand why it was such a journey. Why wasn't it that in that other encounter, a couple of, like I tried really hard. I got everybody I could think of to pray for me. I did everything that I could think of to do. And he, he said, and he shares this, you can read the story yourself in his book. He said, the thing that God really challenged me is that in that earlier situation and circumstance, A, it was all about you, and the motivation was not really to please the Lord at all. It was so that you could fulfill your call. It was so that you could be successful. It was so that you could be the anointed man to the nations. And he said, it was you. It was all you. I, I, I just couldn't bless that. He said, but in this latter instance, he said, you've, this is God speaking to John, you've developed to the extent where truly you can say, I want to be free now because I don't want to do anything that grieves your heart. Like that is just, that's my joy, that's my motivation to live for you in everything that I do. So I'm not saying this is about career. I think, you know, careers aside, in every area of our lives, we can sell ourselves short or we can so easily be reaching for the foods, if you like to use that analogy, 
that really feed our own appetite. And I'm simply inviting us, as Jesus did with the disciples, what, what are you going to chase after in your life? Is it going to be for your next meal? Or are you going to join me in something so deeply satisfying and join me in living for the will of the Heavenly Father? And so this is, this is something that it's, it's so subtle at times we miss it. We settle into these rhythms. I mean, these are disciples who are following Jesus. They're with Jesus day in, day out. They're serving him. They're on mission with him. I mean, you, you cannot get any more devoted, committed. These guys have left everything behind. We gave up our businesses. We're following Jesus. And yet here they are caught out and Jesus is saying, but you're still missing it. You're still missing it because you're just chasing after your next meal. You're just looking to be fed rather than to allow the true food that he lived for to be their driving force and their motivation. So what are some of the rhythms we so easily set into? Maybe it's not career, maybe it's not even ministry related. You know, is there, is there other things, relational, relational goals, want to get married, recreational goals, the next holiday, the next season? What are the things that are the go-to for us in terms of so often filling our appetite with things other than a pure pursuit of the king and the kingdom? Or maybe think of it this way, how often have we missed the will of God because like the disciples, we're, we're, we're off. Where do I get fed? Where's my next meal coming from? We don't even realize it. Such a, a subtle distraction. And before you know it, we've lost the hunger for our real purpose and the hunger for the king and for his kingdom. And as I said before, you see, for me, it, it, it'd be nice to think that we read this story here. Okay, you know, the disciples, they, they missed the mark. They were off chasing food and Jesus is like, guys, you've missed the harvest. And from then on, you know, happily ever after, the, the Disney fairy tale ending. But it takes two chapters before Jesus again is talking to his disciples. He feeds 5,000 and then talks to them in the boat about the bread and they're all panicked again. They're like, oh, did, did no one bring the bread? He's talking about the bread. Who got the bread? And again, Jesus in John 6.27, he says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Like, guys, when are you going to get your eyes off just feeding your bellies? And again, he's got nothing wrong with food. That's not his intention here. You should never eat again. It's permanent fasting if you're a true Christian, true believer. Oh, he's saying, when, when are you going to stop just laboring for the food that perishes and pursue that, which, pursue that which endures to eternal life? We could look at other encounters. Even the week before Jesus goes to the cross, the disciples are there. They're still arguing. They're jostling about who's going to be the greatest and uh, you know, who, who's best. Who's going to have positions of authority in the, in the kingdom? And Jesus, in response to that, he gets down on his knees and he, he washes their feet. He says, when are you guys going to get this? When are you going to recalibrate your hearts away from just filling your bellies? The kingdom doesn't work that way. It's not about what you can get. It's about the king who gave everything. And in return, we give everything back to him. And church history tells us eventually they got it somewhere along the line. All of them, other than Judas, would lay down their lives 
Literally put it all on the line for him. But it was, as it is for us, an ongoing recalibration. Check your appetite. What is or what are the things that really satisfy, that motivate us, that form our our joy and our purpose and our mission as we go about our daily walk? Let me give you one more little picture here and then we'll kind of see if we can bring this all together to a conclusion. <clears throat> Since we're talking about food, let's just, let's just draw this analogy between food in the natural and then food that satisfies in the spiritual. This food, as Jesus says, that will last eternally. Do not labour for the food that perishes, but do labour for the food that endures to eternal life. See, in the natural, there's good food and there's bad food. And this is the problem and the tension. I'm sure I'm not the only one who struggles here. But junk food is always cheaper. It's always easier. It's more convenient. And certainly, if you ask my kids, it always tastes better. If it comes out of a packet and it's full of sugar, then it just tastes good. So what is it that ever makes us even bother about going to the effort of buying fresh ingredients, it's more hassle, it's more cost, of if you're anything like our household, actually enduring the fray and stepping into the ring and attempting to get your kids to eat vegetables, which is a whole nother issue. What is it? Why even bother with any of that? Because if it's just about in the moment, who would want to endure that? Not saying that vegetables taste bad, I'm just, you get the picture. This is the only thing that uh, makes you endure those kind of moments. It's remembering the bigger picture, isn't it? That's what it is. It's remembering the bigger picture. It's keeping in mind that if we live on junk food, then we're going to end up sick. There'll be health complications and ultimately an early grave. Just in the natural, it's, it's keeping in mind the bigger perspective. I, I want to be healthy. Yes, that might mean that I've got to fight a few battles with my kids over eating vegetables because I want them to be healthy. Yes, it costs more. Yes, it's inconvenient. Yes, it's, it's harder, but it's all worth it if the bigger picture is kept in perspective. You get that? Understand? So it's exactly the same in the spiritual. See, this is a recalibration moment of Jesus saying, you guys need to keep in mind, and certainly we do, certainly I do, the bigger picture. You can live for a meal, or you can remind yourself and recalibrate that there is food that endures to eternal life that there is food that ultimately satisfies the heart and the soul of man. But you're only going to find it if you're willing to change your appetite, to check what is on the menu. And let me just remind this to us very quickly in this particular way. One of the things that I love about the gospel. I love about scriptures. I love about this message that we see portrayed from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. Is it is that it is this glorious picture, this glorious movement and mission of a king of love and his radical act of grace. The more we think about that, the more we find purpose 
and meaning and joy and satisfaction and everything that we could ever long for as we look to him. You see, the the world around us, the predominant worldview, whether you like to call it an atheist or a secular humanist or an agnostic, ultimately, if you drill down particular perspectives, they live with this view that there is no purpose. Richard Dawkins says that in many of his books. In fact, Stephen Gould, another American evolutionary biologist and philosopher, he has this quote. I always keep coming back to this one. He says, he says this, We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. This explanation, though superficially troubling, yes, absolutely it is, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. I'd love to meet this man because I'm yet to come across or meet anybody who is even mildly excited about the fact that their life has no meaning and purpose. You have no meaning and ultimate purpose. Hooray. I feel liberated. It doesn't work. Try telling yourself that each morning as you look in the mirror. I have no purpose today. I have no meaning. Why the heck am I here? I'm going back to bed. Uh, Well, look, good luck to him. That's all I can say. And so, you know, there's this this worldview that says ultimately there's no absolute meaning. So the only option that we have, and this again is another quote that I came across some years ago. I keep these quotes together in a book and I go back to them just to encourage myself. Um, But she's a physics teacher, author of the Young Atheist Handbook. See, she says, well, there's, there's, there's no bigger picture, but we can create our own purpose and meaning. As she says here, she says, yes, of course, I know that life is ultimately without meaning or purpose, but the trick is to not wake up every morning and feel that way. Just embrace it. Create a sense of meaning and purpose by doing something useful. I teach. You can be creative. I don't mean in a poncy hipster way. I mean, make a curry, build some bookshelves, write a poem, and if you're really stuck, eat rice and dal. It's true, true. This is her quote. The Young Atheist Handbook. Physically filling yourself with the food you love really does fill the emptiness you may feel inside. Now, I, I like dal. In fact, Indian food is up there with my favourite cuisine. And I can honestly say there is a sense that it does feel a degree of emptiness inside. It does. I'm being quite serious. I don't, I don't fault that logic. What I would suggest is that there is another perspective. There is the perspective of Christian meaning. See, the problem with eating dal to fill our emptiness is it's it's temporary. It's limited. It's fleeting. It's what happens if I don't like dal tomorrow? What happens if my little created meeting doesn't bring meaning, doesn't bring me satisfaction next week or next month, next year? So It's by definition limiting our thinking, very small, very small. In order for me to have any meaning and purpose, it's just the meal that's in front of me. That's that's all I need, that's okay, I don't need to think about anything else. You see, this, this incredible view of the Christian gospel is the exact opposite. If ever I lack meaning and purpose in my life, it's simply because I'm not looking big enough. I'm not thinking broad enough. I've just got to lift myself up. I'm just like the disciples running after the next meal. I need to take a moment and remind myself of the God that I worship, of his incredible plan of radical salvation. See, Christian meaning, it's so broad, it encompasses everything from eternity past to eternity future. 
We have this capacity to sit back and and savor every angle and perspective of this illuminating reality of the God that we worship. The point of all human history, everything that's happened that will happen is centered around his radical love, his will, his purpose, his pleasure, the glory of the gospel, Jesus with his act of love and grace and mercy. It's all because of him. It's all for him. He purposed it. He accomplished it. We know with certainty that he will complete it. And everything that we do, every breath we take, is taken in light of that reality. And you see, when Christ, when he is the one that we worship, see, that infuses everything, even the mundane, even the struggles, the trials, the victories, every moment, every breath, with great meaning and purpose. That's why Jesus is, my nourishment is simply this. It's to do the will of God, to look up, to see his magnificent plan and to spend my life when I'm working, to work for the glory of God, to be the best I can, to make money, but genuinely for it to be for his glory. That's just my desire. Take it all, but if I can just be obedient to what you've called me to do. To raise my kids, to love them, to pour into them, but to do it for the glory of God. For the pure joy and satisfaction of knowing that I'm in his will, fulfilling his call. Enduring trials, even as James says, counting all joy. Even joy can be found in the midst of the battle, the midst of the trials, if I will simply remember that my life and my food and my will and my nourishment, my, all that counts is living for his glory and in his will. Let's get the worship team back up here as I ask us this question in conclusion. What is the food that consumes and satisfies us? Could it be that so often we miss what God has for us because we're simply already full, not even of bad things. There's nothing wrong with seeking a meal. But as Jesus says, will we be a people who will move from simply laboring for the food that perishes and pursue the food that will lead and will last unto eternal life? Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, accomplished so much for the Lord. He said, I used to ask God to help me. Now I simply pray, Lord, let me help you. Let that be the goal of my life. Can we stand together? Just close your eyes as we pray. And I want to give you a moment just in response to God's word that's been preached and proclaimed. And I want you just to think, just examine your own appetite. What is it honestly that drives me? Can I honestly before the Lord here this morning, as Jesus said, as he instructed, challenged, invited his disciples, can we honestly say before the Lord, well, my food, my nourishment, my joy, my everything, everything I have, it's simply for him. It's just to do his will in the good times and the bad times, when I'm working, when I'm at home. That's my diet. That's, that's my hunger. That's what I long for. 
And if we can't honestly say that, then what are the, the areas? Is there, is there certain little prepackaged junk foods, little go-to areas in our lives that from time to time we're like, oh, I'm just going to sit down and binge watch Netflix and enjoy some potato chips. You get the picture. Is there some way that we need, even this morning, to recalibrate our diets? To pray a bold prayer and say, God, save us from filling our bellies with our own appetites, like the disciples, of missing the harvest that's all around because we're more concerned about a meal than a mission. And this is my prayer for us this morning. God, help us to be hungry for what counts. Help us to labor to spend ourselves, not for the food that perishes, but for things of eternal value, for the King and His kingdom. So Father, we just give you permission, just pray through your Holy Spirit. Just come and search our hearts. As David prayed often in the Psalms, search our hearts. We just open up our lives to you. And we pray that you would show us any way that is not pleasing in your sight. Not so we can feel guilty and shame, but Lord, so we can enable you through your grace and your mercy to recalibrate our appetites. Lord, make us a hungry people. Hungry for the things that matter. Hungry for you. Stir up our passion. First of all for you, the King of glory, your majestic, incomparable gospel. To fall in love with you afresh. Every moment, every day. In the good times, the bad times. And from that place of worship and wonder, to be consumed simply with your will and your purpose. Recalibrate our affections. I ask that in Jesus' name. Worship team's just going to sing over us. Might be this morning that you would like to respond and just come forward for prayer. We do have a prayer team. And it would just be our joy and our delight to stand with you in prayer. It might be something that the Lord's spoken to you just as you have been there this morning. It might be something completely different. If you need healing, if you need freedom, Jesus is here. And he's wanting to meet with each and every one of us. So just come forward and receive the free gift that he has. You don't need to strive, you don't need to earn. Come and receive what it is that you need this morning. So if the prayer team could come, just as the, uh, the team sings quietly. If you need prayer, now's the moment when you're ready. Bless you this week. Don't feel like you need to rush away. If you want to just spend some time with the Lord in his presence, you can. Amen.